Reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 12 through 15. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears. He will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine and it will disclose it to you. Shall we pray? Father, we ask a blessing on your word. We ask you just to open up the pastor's heart today, just disclose to him the sermon he needs to speak, Father. Let him speak through you and not of himself. But Father, we ask that the fruit bearer be born of just the words that go forth, Father, the gospel that goes forth, Father, that it be spread into the hearts, into the minds, into the thoughts of people. And Father, I just again ask you to bless the sermon, let it be productive, and let it go forth as you've promised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Brother Art. As you heard this morning, we're going to be looking at John 16. And um, little unusual this year has been in that we have done a lot of more topical series than we have a book study, which is what we typically do. Just some issues that have come up and different things that uh, I thought was good to address. And uh, so we looked at, um, as we're coming back from COVID, just redefining and, and, and refining our mission and, and why we're here, our theology behind our mission. And then, of course, with everything going on, we looked at critical race theory and, and all the different things in that and why it is so dangerous and why it is creeping into the church and that is a dangerous thing. But, um, but this morning, we're going to begin looking at who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. As we are finishing up our study on Galatians, you may recall that there was a survey that came out from Ligonier Ministries along with Lifeway called the State of Theology Survey. And it was, um, it, it revealed a lot of stuff and it did reveal that, that over half of those who claimed to be evangelical Christians did not believe that Jesus is God that Jesus is God incarnate. And so we looked and we defended the deity of Christ. And I said at that time that, you know, we probably need to look at the Holy Spirit also and do a full-orbed, well-rounded study of the Holy Spirit. And so, and I was really looking for a good time to do that. And to be honest with you, now is just a, a, as good of time as any. And so it seemed like the, seemed like the time was right, it seemed like the Lord was leading us in this direction and so that's what we did. Um, and so that's what we're going to do. That same survey in 2020 uh, asked the following question, and I have it on the board there, Mark. It said the Holy Spirit. It was kind of an agree or disagree, and it was a uh, and it was a kind of a scale from strongly disagree to strongly agree. And it said that the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. And of all those surveyed, 75% agreed with that statement. Now, you would think that evangelicals would do a little better, but the truth is we didn't. Of evangelicals who were surveyed, 46%, nearly 50%, agreed with that statement. And another 10% said they didn't know. 
And so over 50% of evangelicals are unfamiliar with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So I think this is as good of time as any to go over it. And, and I think there are some reasons for that confusion that if we're honest, I think that we would all kind of understand where some of the confusion is coming from. Uh, for example, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we really don't have a concrete kind of uh, uh, an, an image of the Holy Spirit that is really something that we can wrap our minds around. You know, when the Spirit manifests himself in the scriptures, we often see him as a mighty rushing wind, or we see him in the form of a dove, or we see him in the form of tongues of fire descending upon the church. We see stuff like that, but we don't really see a real personal image. Like, like for example, uh, talking about the father, who among us in here cannot get a picture in your head of what a father is, for better or for worse, right? When we talk about God the son, every one of us in here have a, a mental image of what a son is. But what is a spirit, now, we all believe, as the scripture teaches, that we are, we are both body, we are, we are matter, but we are also spirit. And yet, I think if we're all honest, we really don't understand that. We don't really get it. We don't really understand what a spirit is. We don't really understand what a spirit looks like. In fact, by definition, a spirit is invisible. It's not something that we can see. It's not something we can smell. It's not something we can taste. We can't do any of those things. And so, so when we talk about a spirit, we really have a lack of understanding of what a spirit is. And so naturally, that would lead to some confusion on who the Holy Spirit is. I mean, that's pretty reasonable, is it not? We know the covenant name for God is Yahweh, which includes the Holy Spirit. We know the personal name of God the Son, that is Jesus, and yet we refer to the Spirit as simply the Holy Spirit, which is somewhat kind of odd, and yet that's how the Scripture reveals Him, and so that is what we say. That's what we teach. It's not very personal, though. Not very personal. And then there's also the problem of false teaching. And it is rampant. It's all over the place. One teacher says that the Spirit is really nothing more than that feeling you get when you have an experience with God. It's not a person. It's a thing. It's a feeling. It's really nothing more than that. In the book, Heaven is for Real, I don't know how many of you read that. I hope not many. But in the book, Heaven is for Real, Colton Burpo when he is asked by his dad, what is the Holy Spirit like? He answers, hmm, that's a tough one. He's kind of blue. So according to Colton Burpo, the Holy Spirit is a blue fog who is floating around in heaven. Which by the way, think about that for a minute. Just apply some theological reasoning to it. If he's blue, what does that mean? He's visible. And if he's visible, what does that mean? It's not a spirit. He has a body, not like ours, but a body nonetheless. See, when you apply a little theological reasoning to these things, you find out how dark these books really are. Uh, whenever uh, He also goes on to say that the Holy Spirit is a blue fog, and, and whenever I'm preaching, apparently the Holy Spirit shoots power down from heaven to give me power when I preach. Well, if he has to shoot power down from heaven, that means I'm not indwelt. 
that means I'm not saved and you should fire me right now. Because the last thing you want is a pastor who's not saved. I mean, it seems like that would be kind of, a, kind of a basic requirement, right? And so again, when you follow the theological reasoning of these books, you see how dark they are and you see where the confusion is. And also, some of it is just because of habit, because how often, and, and I do it too, how often do we refer to the Spirit as an it instead of a he, right? We do that. I think if we're not careful sometimes, we tend to do that. And so this creates confusion about not only who the Holy Spirit is, but how he works in our lives and how he works in the church today. And beloved, there is a lot of confusion over how the Spirit works in our lives, a lot of confusion. And so we're gonna spend some time in looking at the precious person, the precious third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the member of the Trinity whom we have the, our, our personal contact with. And we'll say more about that. How do we interact with the Spirit? Is he just a force or is he an energy or is he just a feeling or is he God? And that's the question we have to ask. Is the Spirit indeed a person of the Trinity or is he just a force that God the Father and God the Son sends out? And we're gonna see today that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person, a divine person of the Trinity with whom we must interact with personally. In fact, when, when personal pronouns in the scriptures are used of the Holy Spirit, they are always in the masculine sense, not in the neuter sense, which means that the language recognizes grammatically that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. He is a person, not a force. He is a person, not just a mere energy. And we are gonna look at the way in which the Spirit's personality is defined in the scriptures. Now, I actually had two things we were gonna talk about today. We were gonna talk about his personality and then we were gonna move into his deity. But we got a banquet and y'all be hungry. So, and I got camp. <laughs> and so I decided to divide them up into two. So, so we're, we're only gonna talk about his personality this morning. But because the Holy Spirit is a person, what we're gonna see is that we must interact with the Holy Spirit on a personal basis, in a personal way. So how do we know that we need to interact with him in a personal way? Let me just... Uh, let me just give you two primary reasons. And again, these are not really based in the text. We're just simply using this text as kind of a springboard. My, my preaching professor said never do that. So I'll apologize to him when I see him, which I never will. So you get the point. So two primary reasons. Number one is that we interact with the Holy Spirit in a personal way because the Holy Spirit is one who has personal relationships. We have a God, a Holy Spirit who indwells us that is, that is personal, that he, 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 we see that in the personal relationships that he has. And most importantly, number one, we see his relationship to the Trinity, his relationship to the Trinity. He see that the Spirit carries on personal fellowship with both God the Father and God the Son. 
He is presented equal with the Father and with the Son, and we're going to hit that more specifically next week. But there's a couple of things that I want you to notice, and I don't really have them on the board. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write these references down so you can look at them later. But the first thing I want you to see is what we call the Trinitarian formulas in the Scripture, and, that, and that's when we find the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit named together. And the one that I hope that we're all most familiar with is the Great Commission. When he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, how? In the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit. Exactly right. And so we see that he is named with the Father and the Son, and he is put on an equal standing with the Father and an equal standing with the Son. And lest there be any doubt, let me just say that this is Jesus who is telling us this. And so this is Jesus's own recorded words. And so the spirit, the, the spirit is presented as equal with God the Father and God the Son. But we also see in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul does the same thing. And this is a wonderful passage. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's a profound passage. The, 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 basically, it summarizes the entire covenant of redemption between the Godhead and the roles they play in our salvation. Just an amazing passage. And again, we'll talk about it more in the weeks to come. But for today's purposes, here's what I want you to see that the Spirit is presented as equal to the Father and equal to the Son, then that means whatever the Father is, whatever the Son is, the Holy Spirit is also. Which means that the Father is, the, is a person, and if Jesus is a person, then that means also the Holy Spirit is a person. If he were just an energy, then he could not stand beside the Father and the Son. He would not be equal. If he were somehow, you see, if he were just an energy that is sent out by God, then what does that mean? That means he's created. And if the Holy Spirit is created, then what does that mean? He's not God. And if the Holy Spirit is not God, then guess what? You're not saved. Because were it not for the Holy Spirit, we would have to go to Jesus. We would have no one to bring him to us. And guess how many of us would pass that test? Romans chapter three, there is none who seek God, no, not one. If the Holy Spirit did not bring God to us, we would never meet him. We would never meet Jesus. So anything that threatens the deity of Jesus, of, of, well, Jesus also, but anything that threatens the deity of the Holy Spirit threatens your salvation. But that's next week. So moving back to this week, he, the, the nature of this fellowship that he has with the Trinity shows that he is equal and also shows that, that he shares a fellowship with them. 
He shares a fellowship with them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says that for who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, who among you can read minds? Nobody? Okay, right? Because the only one who knows what I'm thinking is me. And trust me, you don't want to get in there. So, so the only one who knows who, what you're thinking is you and the spirit that is within you. And Paul makes the analogy to say that even so, the thoughts of God, um, no one knows except the spirit of God. Speaking of this fellowship, the spirit knows the thoughts of God. He knows, they know one another in a personal way, which they communicate their thoughts to one another in a, in a wonderful and God-like Trinitarian way that is beyond our comprehension. But they communicate to each other. They talk to each other. They, they pray to one another. He personally relates to the Trinity. The Spirit takes what is the Father's and the Son's and he gives it to us. He teaches us. He does all these things. He personally relates to the Spirit. Now, now let's stop right here for a minute and talk about this practically. This is, this is heady stuff, but what does this mean for our practical lives? Let's talk about this from a practical point of view. Beloved, if the Holy Spirit of God and if God is indwelling us, if the Spirit is indwelling us, that means that the Holy Spirit is our contact person with God. It means that he is the one with whom we have contact with God Almighty. He is the one to whom that we have that, that connection with God. And if it were not for the Holy Spirit, you and I would have no connection with God. I remember when I was in Israel and I went to the Welling Wall and and everybody, they like to take pieces of paper and, and put a prayer on it and they like to stuff it in the wall. And they gave me a piece of paper to do that too. And, you know, and I kind of dutifully at first kind of did it and stuck it up to the wall. And then I thought about it for a second. I don't have to do this. I'm not, and, and it just hit me that the sadness of looking around at how many people were there thinking that that old decrepit wall was as close as they could get to God. I don't have to do that. I don't need that old wall. Because I have God within me. I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. He is my contact person with the Father and with the Son. In fact, by, and this is one of the mysteries of the Trinity, that by virtue of his presence within me, I also have the Father and I also have the Son. And so I don't need an old decrepit wall to talk to God. He's in me and he's in you if you know Christ. Amen? Amen? So, in speaking to that, we see his relationship to believers. To believers. The Spirit not only has a relationship with the members of the Trinity, but he has chosen to indwell us and interact with believers, John 14, 17. In fact, that entire passage from John 13 to John 17, it has some amazing truths about the Spirit of God. But he says here in John 14, 17, he says that, that that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. 
He chooses to remain in us. He chooses to abide with us. This is why he told the disciples in John 16 and verse seven, he says, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Do you realize that it is better for us today to have the Holy Spirit within us than it is to have Jesus beside us? Do you realize that it is to our advantage that Jesus is ascended and on the throne because by virtue of that, we now have the Spirit sent out to the church who indwells us and gives us personal contact with God. All these false teachers on TV claiming that they're seeing Jesus show up physically on stage. It's amazing how there's never cameras there to record it. You ever notice that? Right? You know what? To me, that just tells me that they're at a disadvantage. I don't need Jesus to physically appear on this stage with me. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit within me. And, I, and you have the Holy Spirit within you if you know Christ. And, and that is to our advantage. We want Christ on the throne. If Christ returns back at any time before his second coming, then that means he's not on the throne. And we want him on the throne, Amen. Do you want someone else leading this world? Do you want someone else in charge of everything? No, we want Christ on the throne. And we want the spirit within us. We desire him. It's our advantage. He abides with us. And not only this, he knows us. He knows us. Just as the Father, Son, and the Spirit are in a relationship of covenant knowledge together, so we have been brought into this covenant relationship with them. They share their fellowship with us. That's profound. That is profound. Beloved, think about this for a minute. You know, sometimes uh, my, Roxanne and I will be kind of teasing with the kids and all, and we'll be talking to one of the kids and one of the kids will come in, one of the other kids will come in. And we'll say, hey, this is an A-B conversation. See your way out of it, right? <laughs> Beloved, you know, God could do that to us, but he doesn't. Because by virtue of our covenant with the Spirit, we are invited into the very fellowship of the Trinity. John, that's what Jesus prays for in John 17, that they will be one with us just as we are one, that they will share in our fellowship that's amazing. That's profound. We are known by him. It's a, it's a three-way conversation between the Father, Son, and Spirit. And because we are united with the Spirit, we are welcomed into the conversation. Do you realize when you pray that you are praying to the very God of heaven, to the very one who has allowed you into the conversation? Why would you not take advantage of that? Why do we struggle so much with prayer knowing what a, an amazing privilege it is to be brought into the, very, into, into the very presence of God through our prayers? How dare we be a prayerless people? Why would we not have such a privilege? And then Romans 8, verses 14 and through 16, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading it to fear again. 
But you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. Listen, listen to all the different ways that the Spirit interacts with believers. He leads us. He testifies to us and with us. We receive him, that is to say, we welcome him into our lives just as you would welcome a welcomed guest into your home. You know, a pure force or energy can't do any of these things. Think about the difference between the Holy Spirit and gravity. Gravity is a, is a sheer force. Gravity is a sheer energy, right? That is exerted on us, some of us more than others. And so let me ask you a question. Can gravity do any of these things? Can gravity know us? Can gravity lead us? Can gravity abide in us? No, it's silly to think about. The scriptures do not speak of the spirit like we speak of gravity. They speak of him as a divine person who abides in us and knows us and leads us and testifies with us. All of these things he does for us because the spirit is our personal contact to God himself, Yahweh, not just his power, not just his approval, but who he is. The very person of Yahweh is within us. In Christ, God is with us. In the Spirit, God is within us. What an amazing privilege. What an amazing privilege. So the question is, how do we interact with him in light of this? Beloved, we need to understand. I'm, I'm hammering this so hard that the Spirit is not just an energy, not just a force. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not something that we can manipulate to bend to our will. So many churches are trying to do that today. So many churches are saying that, that if you will just invoke the right incantation, if you will just invoke the right resources, if you will have just the right style of music, just the right lights, just the right fog machines, if you'll have the right environment, then you can invoke the Holy Spirit to do what you want him to do. Beloved, the Holy Spirit is not a force or energy that we can manipulate to bend to our will. He is the sovereign God whom we bend our will to not the other way around. And avoid any teacher, any book, any revivalist today who treat the Holy Spirit as if he is something that can be conjured up by the right amount of emotionalism. Avoid those. They're not doing the right thing. We must be careful of teachers who seem to have a command of the Holy Spirit. We don't command him, he commands us. He is God. And because the Holy Spirit is a person, we relate to him not by formula, not by technique, not by mantra, but through relationship. Through a relationship. So what's that relationship look like? Just really quick. We interact him, with him in a personal way because of his personal characteristics. And here's what I want you to see, and I'm gonna go through this really quick. But we said earlier, the appearances of the Holy Spirit and manifestations are typically impersonal. They, but when the Bible actually speaks to his interaction with us, it speaks in a very personal way. We saw earlier, he leads us, he, he guides us, he, he does all of those things. 
But here's what I want you to see. Number one is that he, the Holy Spirit has cognition. He has a mind. This is how we know he is a person because he has a mind. Everything we've seen already that the Spirit knows things. In fact, the Spirit knows everything. We, we saw that who knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God who is within him. Beloved, to know the thoughts of God is to be omniscient. So that's one of the proofs of his deity, but we'll get to that next week. But we saw that he does know things. He, we've already seen that, but a couple ways I want you to see that here is that the Spirit teaches us. He teaches, he takes what is the Father's, he takes what is the Son, and he gives it to us by way of teaching. It says the Spirit will teach the apostles all things, and in John's epistle, he goes on to say that all Christians have that anointing and are taught by the Holy Spirit. Boy, the anointing is something that's really abused today in certain circles. Beloved, if you are a Christian, you have the anointing, you have the Holy Spirit, and he is enough. He is sufficient. Of course, in order to teach, the Spirit has to have wisdom, he has to have understanding, he has to have comprehension. Can gravity do all of that? No. The gravity can, now gravity can teach you to be careful at the edge of the steps up here. But that's only by experience. He doesn't actually teach you. But the Holy Spirit teaches us. John and Paul both speak of the Spirit testifying to us. He testifies to what we know, what he knows. He testifies to our spirit and testifies to the truth of the word. And not only that, he also knows facts. He also knows facts. And, and let me just kind of give you what I mean by this. Whenever, you remember when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church about what they were giving? And Paul knew that they were lying. He says, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? What, what is that? And, and we're gonna talk about that more next week, but just, just for our purposes today, what does that mean? That the Holy Spirit knew they were lying. He knew the truth, right? And he told Peter, I said Paul, I think a second ago, and Stephen corrected me, thank you. Um, you always get those two confused. But he said, he told Peter, and Peter knew how? By the Holy Spirit. There's another time when Peter is, is praying on the roof and he just got this vision of, of uh, all of these unclean animals and God is telling him to eat these things, right? And now after this vision, he's on the roof and he's, and he's thinking about what it means and, and the Spirit tells him, hey, Peter, uh, there's three guys downstairs looking for you. And so he knows facts. He knows what's going on. And that's a wonderful thing because a, a, an energy of force doesn't do that. But beloved, when you are going through whatever it is you're going through in your life, the spirit knows. In fact, he's going through it with you. He's walking through it with you. He knows the circumstances of our lives. He knows facts. He also displays a will. He also displays a will. He commands believers and churches to do things. And I want you to notice this, Acts chapter 13, verse two. It says, when they, the church, had prayed and fasted, they laid their hands on them and sent them away, and that is wrong. So let's look at Acts chapter 13, verse one. Actually, it is verse two. I just put the wrong verse in there, I'm sorry. So here's the real Acts chapter 13, verse two. It says, while the church was ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, I want you to notice a couple things here. 
about the Spirit's will. Number one is that he sets apart who he wants. He sets apart who he wants. He tells them, I want Barnabas and I want Saul to be set apart. And so he sets apart who he wants, but not only that, he goes on and he says, to the task which I have called them. So he not only sets apart who he wants, but he also sets apart what he wants them to do. What he wants them to do. And as you go on in the scriptures, we not only see that, but we also see 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, the one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he will. The spirit calls who he wants. He calls them to what he wants. And he tells them how he wants it done by the giftings that he gives them. And so who, what, how, God's will, God's way, that comes by the spirit. He has a will, he commands us, he tells us who he wants, he tells us what he wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. And, and by the way, and, and let me just say this, every time, God, every time the spirit does this in scripture, you never find a reference to impressions or promptings. When the Spirit speaks in Scripture, He always speaks vocally. It's always clear. There is no one in the Scripture that we find saying something like this, I think the Lord wants me to do such and such. We don't ever see that. And so the question is, when the Spirit speaks to us, does he speak vocally? Does he speak using words? And my answer may surprise you. Yes. You say, Randy, I've never heard from the Spirit. Yes, you have. Every time you read this book. Every time you read this book, he tells you what it is that he requires of you. Every time you read this book, he tells you what attitudes to change. Every time you read this book, he tells you what beliefs to adjust. Every time you read this book, he tells you what commands to follow. Now, I'm not discarding the use of, of personal guidance. I'm not discarding the use of prompting and, and impressions, those things. But beloved, those things can be the spirit or they also could be last night's pizza. We don't have a divine commentary on those things and you have to be careful with them. But this gets it right every time. This gets it right every time. And if you want to know the will of God, beloved, the spirit will never tell you anything that is contrary to his word. So yes, the spirit speaks with words today. Words, and he does it better. He actually wrote it down so we can come back to it over and over and over again. You didn't get it the first time? Okay, come back and read it again. That's better than him speaking audibly to us, isn't it? I mean, how many times have you misunderstood something someone told you? Right? And so write it down. I can come back to it over and over and over again, make sure I get it right, which is exactly what he wants us to do. And so he leads us. And finally, he displays emotion. I wanna be careful with this one. 
because he displays emotion. Now, we all believe that there is no change in God. There is no change in his essence. He is what we call impassionable. In other words, he does not change in who he is, but he does display emotion. He does display, and, and just very quickly, First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he tells, Paul tells them that you became imitators of us and the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Beloved, it is a joy to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? The Holy Spirit is about joy. I get so tickled at sometimes of these Christians who think that in order to be a good Christian, you just gotta be sour. Where do they get that from? I've had people tell me before, it's like, you know, you're, you sure don't act like a preacher. You joke around a whole lot. What's that got to do with anything? What's that got to do with the price of beans in China? Nothing. The Holy Spirit is joy and he produces joy in our lives Beloved, that is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit that if we have the Holy Spirit, we will have joy. That doesn't mean we're walking around happy all the time. No, there are troubles and trials and tribulations in life, but we have the joy of the Lord. We have the joy of the Spirit. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about peace and it's about joy that we have in him. You want to know true joy, come to Christ because that joy comes in through the Holy Spirit and he builds it inside of you. And the more we mature in Christ, the more we have joy. Beloved, one of the biggest lies from hell that has ever been given is that in order to be holy, you must sacrifice your joy. Don't believe that. That is a lie from Satan. The Holy Spirit is all about joy. He's all about peace. And when we have the Holy Spirit, we will have joy. But the Holy Spirit can also be grieved. The Spirit can also be grieved. Philippians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Spirit. How often he must be grieved. How often? So how do we relate to this? Beloved, when you are interacting, when you're talking about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about a person with whom you are in covenant relationship with. You know, I was coming home uh, from, um, I guess it was Little Rock the other day. And you know, a couple of years ago, <clears throat> when Southside became a city, uh, because it's now a city, they had to lower the speed limit from 55 to 45, right? It is so easy to speed through there. And, uh, and anyway, so I was driving through there, right? And, uh, and I was, you know, I, I don't even remember. I was paying attention, but I was also listening to the radio or something like that. And, and, uh, and I just happened to look down at my speedometer and I was doing like 62 in a 45. And I thought, oh my goodness, I need to slow down. I was breaking the law, right? I didn't feel a bit guilty about it. I just slowed down primarily because quite frankly, if I wasn't afraid of getting a ticket, I probably would have just kept on going. But 
I didn't want to take it, so I slowed down. I had no guilt over it. I don't feel bad about it to this day. I don't feel bad about it. Why? Because all that is is breaking a law. There's no person behind that law. But you know, the last time I offended my wife, the last time I offended Roxanne, and I knew I offended Roxanne, it broke my heart. Broke my heart. Why? Because I didn't just break a law. I hurt a person. A person with whom I'm in a relationship with. And beloved, when you sin, you are not just breaking God's law like it's some impersonal thing. But when you sin, you are grieving the Holy Spirit with whom you are in a relationship with. Why would we want to do that? I don't ever want to break my kids' hearts. I don't ever want to break Roxanne's heart. Beloved, I don't ever want to offend you because I love you. It's not about breaking laws. It's about having a relationship with a person. How the Spirit must grieve when we sin while He is indwelling us. I don't, I don't ever want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't ever want to grieve him. And I pray that that is your prayer as well. But beloved, when we break the law of God, when we fail to be like God, we're not just breaking a law, we're grieving a person, a divine person who indwells us. We're grieving the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a question. Have you grieved his spirit? Have you grieved the Holy Spirit? What do I do? Well, there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. First John chapter one, verse nine says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but guess who applies that very forgiveness and righteousness to your heart? Christ accomplished it, but guess who applies it? The very one we grieve is the very one who takes Christ's forgiveness and he puts it in our place. So so beloved, if you are here this morning and you know you are living in a certain way that is grieving the spirit within you, I beg you, seek his forgiveness this morning. Seek the Holy Spirit's application of Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't have Christ as your savior, understand you don't know God but you can you can have the joy you can have the wonderful experience of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord because he sends his spirit to indwell us in our lives and he builds that joy he builds that fruit in us so beloved if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ would you come and get to know him Would you come and hear the gospel and submit to it? Would you come and believe that Christ is my savior? He lived a perfect life, never sinned. He lived in perfect obedience to God the Father, earning the righteousness that you and I can never have. And then he died on the cross in full payment and penalty for our sins. And then he rose on the third day, proving once and for all that everything that's needed for salvation is given to us in Jesus Christ. And when we turn in repentance and faith to him, the Holy Spirit will take that work and he will 
place it on your account. He will give it to you. He will bring it to you if you will repent and believe in Christ. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I beg you to come. I beg you to come. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful person of the Holy Spirit that you have sent to us. And Lord, if there's one here this morning, I've I've just barely scratched the surface. But if there's one here this morning that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, who does not have the Spirit indwelling them, Lord, I pray this morning will be the morning that the Spirit will begin his convicting work. Maybe he already has. Lord, I pray that you will draw them to yourself through your spirit in the name of Christ, that they will trust in no other name but the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Lord, if there's one here this morning who is grieving the spirit, who is living in such a way that has brought grief and anguish to the spirit, Lord, I pray that you will convict them this morning. And that they will seek that forgiveness that is so readily available in Christ and that you will apply it to their hearts. Whatever our need is this morning, Lord, do your work through your word. And may you, Holy Spirit, implant your word into our hearts in a more effective way. Let's stand together. I'm gonna ask you just to keep your heads bowed for a moment. And as we listen to the music that is played, and if there's a need you have this morning, I invite you to come.